and how to make sure that case, for example, you speak about how we can, for example, learn it from human or to robots in that case. So how do you see the safety here or redundancy? Because we speak about if there's failure in the learning process, how they can yeah, have a redundancy in that scenario of failure of learning. Yeah, no, that's a very good question. Like, so I started in this field with safety and my views of safety at the beginning was very rigid. Like it was, uh, I was looking at like providing provably correct guarantees for autonomous systems and control like algorithms. And it was pretty like difficult to do that. And over time, my views over safety has become less and less rigid. So I feel like there are going to be failures at times and we should like be like in, in a lot of settings. And it's useful to be able to like predict them. It's able to, it's useful to be able to do like self-diagnosis, be able to repair, be, be able to do self-repair. So um, I still do think like safety is important. I think it's like a core problem and core challenge that we have as we are thinking about robots interacting with people. I think ways to go about that is, yeah, adding redundancy as you were talking about. So if you consider like multimodal data, right? Like if I'm, if I'm observing the human's trajectory as well as human's gaze, as well as the language that they're providing, if I look at like that type of multimodal data that's given from the human, maybe I can think about redundancy in that sensory data that I'm getting and that could help me with acting more safely or like being more risk, like risk averse if, if I feel like I don't have enough confidence. So having a measure of risk, I think also like in general, helps when you're thinking about human-robot interaction. And better that what you think still me missing here, of course, there's a room of improvement here in that case, but generally speaking from your research and in robotics in general, when it comes to this research line, what's still missing and what could be other direction we give more focus or attention, do you believe in, in that research specifically? Yeah, so... I think, it, okay, so this is like, maybe like really like focused on human robot interaction, but I do think there are a lot of challenges in robotics alone, like even outside of thinking about interaction, but this view of, oh, I think about robotics alone without worrying about interaction, I feel like is very limiting. And I feel like there are a lot of like missing pieces when you think about interaction. Like again, like going back to the driving example, right? Like for the longest people were worrying about building a car that just does driving without worrying about like anything else, like other drivers. And, and that is pretty limiting because when you're changing a lane, right? Changing lanes is heavily related to like how this other driver around you actually drives. And I feel like now there is quite a bit of work in the space of human robot interaction, thinking about interactive learning, thinking about these more like interactive type of data and, and trying to like capture information from that. But I feel like what is was something that's missing even today is thinking about long-term repeated interactions. Like right now, a lot of research is about one time, like one shot, few shot type of interactions. But if I feel like, if, if I think about having a robot in my home, like helping me like over, over weeks or over, over like years, I have this long-term repeated interaction that with that robot, my behavior changes. I'm a learning agent, my behavior changes. That robot's behavior should also be changing. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be fixed. So I do think like adaptation and thinking about repeated interactions is, is an interesting problem that maybe is less studied today. And maybe part of it is we don't have robots in our homes right now, but I feel like that's also a big piece of the question that's currently missing. And I'm curious if there's something was counterintuitive to you when you try to learn it from, for example, human in the process. I don't know. Do you have any counterintuitive moments in, in the research? And does it make sense to you that it was counterintuitive? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Uh, I feel like there are many, but... <laughs> um, yeah, some are actually intuitive and then you don't realize that they're intuitive. So let me maybe give you 
two examples. So, so yeah, so one example is this recent project that I was, or this recent thread of work that we are looking at doing representation learning when we are trying to model interactions. So when we were looking at this domain or when we think about modeling interaction, it's very natural, like coming from a mathematical perspective of it, a mathematical formal model of it, it's very natural to model it using theory of mind, right? Like using, using this idea of, oh, I have a full model of the other agent. Let me model everything I can about the environment. Let me model everything I can, I can about the policy of the other agent. And it's a very natural thing to do if you're coming from like the mathematical backgrounds of it. And it took me a while to realize that that's not the thing that humans do in a lot of interactive reactive tasks, like that moving the table example that I was giving earlier. So if you think about like two people moving a table, like I really don't think people are doing this like theory of mind modeling. And, and it's like into like afterwards, after the fact, thinking about it, it's actually very intuitive for people to not do that. But like, I feel like it took me a while to realize that. So it's not a counterintuitive thing. It's really an intuitive thing that took me a while to realize. Um, on the counterintuitive side of things, of course, like we have often like examples that are pretty interesting and they end up being counterintuitive. So like, for example, like we had some work around driving where we were planning for autonomous cars driving around human driven cars. And we had a setting where an autonomous car and the human driving and driven car, they would arrive at an intersection at the same time. And our human, uh, our autonomous car basically wanted the human to cross first. So what it would do is it would back up. And, and we were like super confused about why in the world is this autonomous car backing up? Because it was super unintuitive. I've never seen any car autonomous, non-autonomous, like back up at intersections. And, and that was pretty counterintuitive, but that was out of the optimization. The car, like the autonomous car decided that backing up is the thing that's going to like make more room, make it more likely for the human to pass. And I found like that particular example really interesting that the robot, the autonomous car, decides to like take these interactive actions that are maybe not like obvious to us, but there was like a reason behind it. And the reason here was like the model of the human that was incorporating.